just blank faces. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. Uh, two c- housekeeping things uh, I want to put back before our attention. Um, <clears throat> church family camp retreat thingy coming up in March, March 1st through 3rd. We have a place reserved. We need to figure out who wants to go to this, what we're going to be doing, and who's going to feed us. Those are all very important questions, and we need help organizing this. Uh, We haven't had anyone come and talk about uh, how they want to do this. I would like to partner with someone who's interested in this. And the second thing I would like to do is continue to uh, invite, and this is going to be the last time that I invite this, I'm telling you this stuff is important. If you just go on ignoring me, that's fine. I'm not, gonna, I'm not a used car salesman, but getting God's word into our hearts, it is an important thing. And really, I would like to see someone who's in their 20s or 30s stepping up and being a champion for this. If you're in your 40s, I'll take you too. <laughs> we really just need new people t- taking steps of faith and doing these things. And uh, we've got a lot of hard workers in this church, and they are consistently hardworking. And then we have a lot of people that aren't real engaged and involved. And this is an opportunity for you to think about that, pray about that, and step forward. Uh, Because I really think that there is a lot of good fruit that is going to come out of this kind of effort. All right, so we are continuing in the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, I began last week talking, asking this question, why in the world would I pick Deuteronomy? And one of the, the things that I talked about is Deuteronomy gives us a picture of something black and white. It gives clarity in a world of gray, in a world of compromise and fudging things and half-truths, and all of that, Deuteronomy just socks it to us. It's a beautiful book that way. And so I want to continue looking at that. I'm going to talk about sources real quick. Uh, I I always have sources for the sermons I preach, since this is a new series, Deuteronomy. Um, I've got a couple commentaries I'm working with. I've got uh, some teaching from a New Testament or an Old Testament scholar at Harding University, a guy named uh, Kevin Youngblood, who uh, has done some work in Deuteronomy that I found to be very helpful and insightful. And you know, anytime I'm preaching, it's always a combination of the biblical text and my understanding and interpretation of that, together with other resources that I'm reading and things that are feeding that, together with whatever the Holy Spirit is doing to pull stuff out and to bring that to ears that need to hear certain words. And so uh, if you have an interest in further study of these things and you want to know specifics of, well, where did this idea come from? Or uh, it's either from me or someone else, and I'll help you uh, figure that out if you're interested in further studies with those things. So why the book of Deuteronomy? As I've been studying, it looks to me like the book of Deuteronomy was really important to Jesus Christ. It had a huge impact on his understanding and his ministry. And so I asked, well, why is this? According to uh, 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 quotation frequency, 
Deuteronomy is number two of, of the books in the Old Testament that are quoted. You know, it's only beat out by one, by Psalms, because there's so many great things in Psalms, the Psalms. And it wasn't just Jesus who was strongly influenced by the book of Deuteronomy. The entire New Testament is really thick with Deuteronomy references. Deuteronomy is a bridge that connects the rest of Torah, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Deuteronomy is that bridge text that connects it to all of the books that follow after in the Old Testament. The influence of Deuteronomy. Over a hundred quotes or allusions to words that are written in Deuteronomy. It brings the Pentateuch, which is Torah, the first five books of the Bible, to its theological climax. And the weight of Torah comes to its climax in three sermons or farewell addresses or homilies that it's basically Deuteronomy is sermons. They're Moses' sermons to the nation of Israel. It sets the agenda for everything that happens with Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, to an extent as well, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. All that is kind of outlined and set in place in the book of Deuteronomy. It's called a, a Janus text, which was a new word for me. I had to learn that word. I've learned it before and forgotten it, and I'll, I'll say it now. And Ooh, impressive, Calvin, and you'll forget it in two minutes, so it's all good. But it's a text that looks forward and backward at the same time. It is a text that is a bridge of connection uh, between other books or other writings in the Bible. And so uh, here's one way that you can and look at the book of Deuteronomy. It stands in between and ties all of these things together, the narratives that uh, it has there. Why was Deuteronomy so important to Jesus? I think it comes down to chapter 17 and chapter 18. And when Moses first says these words, he's talking about prophetic future that has not yet taken place. He is anticipating a time when there will be other prophets, another prophet who is in greatness, like Moses, indeed beyond him, a king that will come who will be an ideal king for Israel. Um, Jesus Christ is the hyper-fulfillment or the ideal against which all other kings fall under that umbrella and are measured to that standard. Jesus Christ is the ideal prophet and he's the ideal priest, of course. He in himself embodies the only sacrifice that can save us from our sins. So Jesus is the hyper-fulfillment of these things that are talked about in Deuteronomy. And so let's look at Deuteronomy 17 real quickly about this idea of the ideal king and what an ideal king looks like. Uh, first off, Deuteronomy is the only Old Testament book 
that Israel's king was required to keep a copy of the scroll of Deuteronomy that was written out in his own hand, and he's supposed to keep that on his person at all times. And people would be able to recognize a legitimate and real king of Israel because he carried around, or he was very familiar with, the book of Deuteronomy. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. How well did the kings of Israel do against that standard? These are words of Moses. For all of Solomon's wisdom, he doesn't do a very good job with this list. How many horses did Jesus have? He had a borrowed donkey. How many wives did Jesus have? How much gold and silver did Jesus have? He had a little bit. And the guy in charge of that purse was helping himself out of it. Jesus hyper-fulfills the prophetic word of Moses about what the ideal king of Israel will look like. It goes on to say, And when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law. And these decrees. The way Jesus Christ fulfilled this requirement of keeping the words of Deuteronomy, it was by memorizing the entire book. The way that Jesus keeps Deuteronomy with him at all times is that he took the time to memorize all of those words, and they were on his heart. Well, how do you, how do you know that, Calvin? How do you know? And I'm, I'm talking about, I think when Jesus learned the scripture and when he memorized texts, he had to do all the same kind of work that we have to do for that to happen. There's no doubt he was a brilliant man, but I don't think he just had an automatic download button and it, because he was fully human and he knows what it's like to struggle and to try to do things. 
The way I know that Jesus committed Deuteronomy to memory, because he quoted it all the time. Uh, The fact that Deuteronomy is constantly on Jesus' lips, it is a proclamation of his understanding that he is a king as well. Deuteronomy in the memory of Jesus is an announcement of his kingship. So when different situations come up in Jesus' life and ministry, what's the greatest commandment? Where does Jesus go for his answer? Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Love the Lord your God with everything you've got. How do you deal with conflict in church? Jesus' answer there, Deuteronomy 19.15. You can check me out on this. Take a picture. Take a look. What kind of king should Israel have? He implies, his implied answer is Deuteronomy 17, which we just read. And then this is an interesting one. And this has implications for us today. When you are engaging in battle, in spiritual warfare, with the devil or the demonic... What kind of books would you like to have in your memory? And I would go automatically and run and grab a hold of stuff in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, when he goes to do battle with the devil, he goes with the Holy Spirit and with the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Think about this. When Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, the only thing he goes with, uh, the clothes on his back, the Holy Spirit who's leading him into the wilderness, and the book of Deuteronomy in his memory. Jesus memorized Deuteronomy so that when when the devil comes and the temptations are thrown at him, every time, three temptations... Jesus does not answer from anywhere else in the Bible, but only the book of Deuteronomy. Did you ever pick up on that? That was like a new one for me. That was a shocker. I know he quoted the Old Testament. I didn't realize it was only from Deuteronomy. So let's look at this story of temptation from Matthew 4. You can look at Luke's account if you want. That's good. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, how long were the Israelites wandering in the wilderness? So that 40, that's significant there. 40 days, 40 nights. He was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, Man shall not live like by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Even the devil can quote the Bible. Jesus' answer, 
It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will just bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Deuteronomy 8, Deuteronomy 6.16, Deuteronomy 6.13. There's something important in the book of Deuteronomy, in Jesus' mind. So let's look at the, the, the deeper context of these quotations, because I want to unpack this a little bit, and this is going to be our sermon today. It's all around this idea of why was Deuteronomy so important to Jesus? <clears throat> the first quote of Jesus is from the eighth chapter. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what is in your heart whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Jesus is proving to his father what is in his heart. God wanted to know in Israel, when he turns up the heat a little bit, are they going to get hangry? Oh yeah. They had a big time hangry problem. What about me? When God turns the heat up just a little bit in my life circumstances, you know what? I'm a squealer. I'm a whiner doesn't take much for the squealing and whining to start. You might not know that about me. My wife obviously knows that about me. But I try to hide it because I take it to the Lord. But I make a mountain out of my wrongs and my issues, and it doesn't take a whole lot of heat to show some of the broken things in my heart. The second quote uh, for the second temptation from Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you. Well, what is Massah? Or rather, where is Massah? Massah, Hebrew, or Meribah, is also uh, mentioned in Exodus 17. Massah, Meribah may be the same place. There's some ambiguity here. This, This stuff was written a really long time ago. But they're a place in, uh, that the Israelites went through. And you can read about it in Exodus 17, and it's probably the same story that's being referred to in Numbers 20. And they have a slightly different nuance. The name Massah in Hebrew means testing, and the name Meribah means quarreling. Testing. In Exodus 17, we read that the Israelites quarreled with Moses about the lack of water in the desert, in their wilderness wanderings. Uh, And Moses rebukes the Israelites for testing the Lord. Is he really going to take care of us? On account of their thirsts, uh, the Israelites were so upset that uh, Moses, in fear of his life, actually, appeals to the Lord. And then the Lord tells Moses to go ahead uh, to this rock at Horeb and with the rod of Aaron to strike this rock. And uh, Moses does this, and this rock begins to pour out uh, fountains of water, plenty of water for the whole people of Israel. And the book of Numbers 20, it seems to be the same incident. And on account of uh, the way that this happened, uh, in, in, in the Numbers account, it says specifically that Moses was told to speak to the rock uh, in the presence of witnesses, and that the rock would then give forth its life-giving water. Uh, but instead of speaking to the rock like God told him, Moses gets angry, and he's angry, frustrated with the people. He calls them rebels, uh, and he strikes the rock twice. And it results in a strong flow of water. Uh, but Numbers tells us that the consequence for Moses doing this, it is the reason he's not allowed to enter the promised land. What is the most important thing to Moses? What's on his bucket list? There are two times that God tells Moses no. The first one is when he asked to see God's face. And God says, no one can see me and live. You cannot see my face and live. But I'll show you as much as you can handle. Made the guy glow. And the second was, Moses wanted to go to the promised land. In fact, he's so persistent about trying to get into the promised land that the Lord finally has to say, the answer is no, and stop asking me. That's how important it was to him. And it's because of this incident that he did not honor the Lord as God. And it's interesting, 1 Corinthians tells us about this story. And it says, you know who that rock was? That rock is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ.
that rock that was stricken, that gave life-giving water. That was Jesus in the Old Testament. How did the Israelites tempt God at Massah? Because of their lack of faith, testing God may also include the questioning of his presence or power. Again, the supreme example is from the Massah narrative. They tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? How many Christians live their lives kind of like in the just kick back? God, if you, if you really want me to do something, you need to tell me. Prove yourself to me. Show me. Show me some fireworks, and I will give you reverence. Show me something amazing. Wow me. And then, and then I will, won't have this ambiguity. I won't be wishy-washy anymore if you, if you show me something like that. All right, the next temptation. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities which you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not, you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful. What's he saying? When things are going so good for you, and you're rich, and you're fat, and you're comfortable, be careful. Have you fattened yourself in the day of slaughter? Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, Fear or worship the Lord your God and serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Deuteronomy tells us there. One of the ways that power works is when we get a little bit of power, how quickly does it go to our heads? When we get a little bit of, when we get a chip in the big game, our our, our investments have gone well. Our inheritance, our whatever. One of the ways that power works is once we get it, we tend to quickly forget where we got it from. And we become very like, self-congratulatory about it. It doesn't take the Israelites very long before they're in the promised land and they start looking around and thinking, wow, we've done pretty good for ourselves. And we want this to keep going. So we need more fertility. So let's talk about the, the, this Baal guy and the, the God of fertility. And let's get this. God is forgotten by human beings constantly. He's forgotten by people in this church. He's forgotten by the minister of this church. We forget all of the blessings and all the help that we have received from the Lord our God. Are any one of us thankful enough 
or mindful enough of everything that you have in Jesus Christ? The devil is offering to Jesus what is ultimately not his to give. And Jesus, the one who actually has the right of all power, it belongs to him. All the power is his. The only thing he seems interested in doing is worshiping the Father and serving the Father. Do you see the heart of your Savior? So to close this morning, I want to look at these uh, these three temptations that Jesus refutes exclusively from the book of Deuteronomy. What do these temptations represent? And I, get this, I get this idea from a Catholic author who I really enjoy. Uh, Henry Nouwen is his name. And uh, he talks about, I think the book is called In the Name of Jesus, kind of what these temptations represent. And I think he does a really good job at this point um, that we can learn from. And the first thing that I want to say is, you know, Jesus' temptations, there are temptations as well. The first temptation is a temptation to be relevant. Obviously, we need bread. What could be more important at this point than Jesus having bread after not eating for 40 days? How practical is that? Most people would say, hey, that is the greatest need. We're going to take care of that. And Jesus says the greatest need is to realize man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know, as a minister, I want to be relevant. I want to talk about relevant issues. I want to give you things that are helpful. But until you are looking to receive from the hand of God himself, and you, until you settle what is most important in your heart, my words, maybe they're not going to be a lot of help to you until you go all in for Jesus Christ. Second temptation. Throw yourself from the, from the height of the temple and let the angels carry you and carry you in their arms. Can you imagine the kind of hubbub-blub witnessing something like that would create? Uh, we think he's a suicide jumper, but then all these angels show up and... That's the guy I'm going to worship. That's the guy I'm going to... Throw yourself from the parapet of the temple and let the angels catch you. What does Jesus do, though? He refuses to prove himself. He doesn't need to show off. He doesn't need to prove his identity, prove his worth. He's not name-dropping. He's not putting out credentials. Well, I have a master's degree, or I have a... PhD or a doctor of ministry or he doesn't need to prove himself and he does not need to put the Lord his God to the test 
I think about the ways that human beings live, trying to, everyone's, you got to toot your own horn to get ahead in this life. Everyone knows that. What are you doing to prove to the people around you that you're special? We prostitute ourselves to get a little positive affirmation and feedback, and it feels so good to be recognized and seen, to know, hey, I'm unique, I'm special, I'm... And we live our lives trying to chase after glory that doesn't last. And we haven't settled in our hearts that our Savior has already told us, you're worth my life. You are worth my life. The temptation to be powerful. I will give you all the kingdoms of this world in their splendor. Why is it that so many people try to live as their own God rather than just loving the Lord their God? And why are we so quick to forget the source of every good and perfect gift that comes from above? How many breaths have you taken while, since you've got up this morning? How many times has your heart beat How many words have you got to say? How many seconds have you got to? It's all a gift. It's all a gift. Don't be, don't have the kind of heart that says, look, I've done pretty well for myself, haven't I? Don't have the heart in the book of Daniel of of Nebuchadnezzar. See what I've done by my own hand. Jesus is quite content. The only power that he wants is to wait on the Lord to receive whatever power the Lord wants to give to him. I want to be relevant. I would love to be able to wow people and be spectacular. I'd love to be powerful. But the way that we do it as disciples of Jesus is to follow in his footprints and his example. Dad, you can come up. This is the sermon. The way we do it is to follow hard after Jesus Christ. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. Let your heart or your attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus who humbled himself Humility is the way that we become powerful. The fruit of the Spirit is the way that we become spectacular. What is more relevant? What is more relevant 
than our faith in Jesus if he really is the Son of God. If he really is who he claimed to be and who he said he was, there's nothing more relevant or important or necessary in this life. And we get to remind each other of that again and again, and we get to proclaim that to one another again and again. But the invitation for each of us is to live that in your life. All right, Deuteronomy was important to Jesus. He had used Deuteronomy when he had to go fight the devil. And it makes me want to look and dig up some more of this treasure uh, of what I find there in Deuteronomy. So uh, next week, I'm at a, a couples retreat for Northwest Ministry couples. Alicia and I are going to hang out with other ministers and ministered wives and uh, uh, console one another <laughs> and encourage each other. Uh, but we got Brother Rob, who's going to give us the word, and uh, um, we can look forward to that. He'll do a great job for us. So there's so many good things happening, so many good things happening in this church. I'm glad uh, uh, for all of the good things happening. But remember the two things that uh, I mentioned that I need help with. It's the last time I'm going to talk about them. If the Lord puts some of that on your heart, let me know. And uh, we always offer an invitation to put the Lord on in baptism or for the prayers of this church. You can find me up here while we sing this uh, last invitation song together. <laughs>